0: Turn it up.
1: You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson.
0: And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No
1: BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe.
0: The one request we tell our guests?
1: Stories or didn't happen.
0: A big welcome to our marketing fam.
1: Prepare to turn the f- up. Hi, TMM fam. <laughs> Your
0: favorite duo is back.
1: Yes, we are. And today we're in the presence of a podcasting powerhouse who happens to be interviewing some of the biggest names in the industry on his own podcast, Growth Mindset University. He's here to shine a light on a growth mindset. So give it up for Jordan Paris. Jordan, welcome to the pod.
2: Thank you, Emily, Daniel. I'm very happy to be here on your podcast. You guys are off to a really great start. I've been watching, and thank you.
1: Uh, of course.
2: I want to kick it off because
0: you're one of the coolest entrepreneurs to fo- follow on LinkedIn and on Thanks. your podcast. I just want to say, how did you get started in this journey of being an entrepreneur?
2: Well, I had uh, had a job in high school. I was working at a, a restaurant a very, very young hire. Usually they didn't hire 16 year olds, but I got, uh, was eating there and and met the manager one night and got my foot in the door and got an interview and, and started working as a busser at this restaurant at 16. And then, you know, eventually when I was 18, got promoted to server and, and, uh, you know, I had a decent two and a half years there throughout high school. Uh, You know, it wasn't like an over, wasn't like a really bad experience, but it was an experience that, taught me that I never wanted to work for anyone ever again. I got out of there and I said, never again. I knew it just wouldn't work. I, it wasn't going to lead to a happy life for me. It didn't work for me for many reasons. But I'm glad I realized that then. And then from then on, it was it was finishing high school and you know, didn't really do anything the rest of senior year. I quit probably midway through. I didn't even really quit. I just kinda of stopped getting scheduled, is what happened. It was like I never actually got like fired or anything or quit. It was kind of weird. Yeah. And then I, I graduated high school and I was gonna to go to college, but I wanted to be a personal trainer. And I hit up a trainer in Los Angeles named Steve Jordan and right in Westwood near UCLA. And I just got a studio there. Uh, what's it, the uh, Oppenheim, ta- Oppenheim? I what is that tower? I don't even know. One of those towers. Anyway, and uh, I hit him up. I was like, and I asked him a bunch of questions on the phone, and, and I asked him if I could work for him for free. We trained some pretty big celebrities and like Jordan Belfort and Tobey Maguire and, and Ariana Huffington and Brad Paisley, and I wanted to learn the way, man. I wanted to learn. And so he said, yeah, and I came out to L.A. the summer before, college and worked right alongside of them and and learned the little things like brand consistency like you can't charge two hundred dollars an hour and have a dasani water bottle no it's got to be like a fiji water bottle not like a fiji water bottle it's got to be a fiji water bottle you can't have an aquafina water bottle if you're charging that kind of money you can't wear like under armor shorts now you gotta wear lululemon the athletic pants brand consistency so and then I, I got my own certification midway through my freshman year and and I uh, then I took a little bit but I got my own clients and was making sixty dollars an hour as a nineteen year old I was like this is cool I can do it I that's when I that's when I I finally said said wow I can do it and from there it just kind of evolved I, I I realized at some point that I didn't have the level of freedom the exact level of freedom that I wanted with being a personal trainer I still just show up at people's houses I was in. In-home personal trainer wasn't working at a gym or anything. That wasn't the point. I didn't want to have a job, you know, much work for myself. But I, I had to show up somewhere. I had, my income was very much tied to a location, and I, I found myself. I didn't want to go visit family up, up north, you know, on on weekends and sometimes. Uh, I'm like Jordan, you wanna, you wanna come visit us for whatever? And I'd be like, no, nah, you know, I'm gonna miss out on X amount of clients. That's X amount of dollars. I really, really don't want to. Really would rather stay here and and make the money so I, I took my foot off the pedal there and started figuring things out in the the online world it took a couple of years but uh, really really have started to dial it in as far as far as income online as of 2020 really started to dial that in and somewhere along the way in that in that span I started a, a podcast uh, about two and a half years ago and, but yeah that's that's me it's a, a little short overview of of my journey. That's awesome. And how did this
0: idea evolve from this personal trainer, just starting a podcast, like why a podcast?
1: Yeah, that's a big uh, jump. Or were you just kind of tapping into the, the kind of trend of yeah. online at the time?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a trend. I, I did it because other people were doing it. And I thought I should, I thought it was something I should do. Social proof was there that that was, it was big. Uh, that was definitely a big element of it for sure. I don't, I can't really say why other than that,
1: Were you nervous at all, especially coming from kind of a financial standpoint for podcasting? I mean, podcasting doesn't necessarily drive the dollars at the beginning. uh,
2: I never, I never started a podcast to be like, oh, this is going to be my moneymaker. That was never like a a thing.
1: Okay.
2: So, but I was nervous with because I I was I was an introvert. I I was very nervous, really, uh, and I, I was not very well spoken at all. I had no confidence, wasn't a very good speaker in in any way. And I was shy. So I was very nervous about that. Okay. And it got better though, as as time went on, I think, and figured things out and got more confident.
1: What spurred the idea to even tap into a podcast? Nah, I I have no idea.
2: Nah, I I literally have no idea. I just did it because I thought I should.
1: Okay. Yeah. So then you got to explain to us, what is a growth mindset?
2: Well, I didn't, I didn't coin the term for the record. <laughs> obviously, <Of course. laughs> obviously that's uh, Carol Dweck, but it's really the belief the, the, that anything can be learned with effort, mm-hmm. and purposeful practice. And, and I've very much gone about my life like that over the past four years with things that were just seem like massive headaches and are very overwhelming because I don't know how to do them. And I, then I just, seek out the resources from people who ought to know and, and go test what I've learned and figure things out along the way and become very good at things. And there's examples in my life in the world of communication, not knowing how to talk to people, not just on a podcast, but in, in general, in the everyday world. It's very awkward. really picked up the pieces and, and read a lot of books, read every book out there on, on communication. not every book out there, but a lot of books on communication and, and just figured things out and human behavior and and, uh, and then in a sales context as well, I, I didn't know how to sell at all. And, and I kind of needed to know how to sell if I wanted to grow my business the way I wanted to grow it, figured it out. I was a really terrible salesman, even at the beginning of 2020. Uh, but I've, I've come into, it depends on a lot of things, but on some calls, I feel like I, I, I'm at a level of mastery. Other calls, I still kind of crash and burn, you know, and it just doesn't work out. Not, not exactly crash and burn, but I'm much better than I once was, and I'm very confident in my ability. Uh, I didn't know how to prospect either. I prospecting, where do I even start? Who do I reach out to? And I've figured that out. I sought out the resources from people who ought to know, maybe like Jeb Blunt of Fanatical Prospecting, and learned all I could and then started doing it. Uh, so, so many things in my life and in my business that I've just had to learn and, and figure out, and that I've attacked with optimism and a growth mindset.
0: And I also think that one thing about growth and you kind of defining it right now is that it's uncomfortable, right? Like you're doing things that are uncomfortable.
2: Totally. Yeah.
1: But also unafraid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But super uncomfortable. Like any, anything with, with sales and, and talking to people, at least in the beginning, super uncomfortable. And now I don't even think twice about it. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing for people
0: starting a podcast and starting something. It's just, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you'll get to the point once you've done it a couple of times. Cause I remember, and this is going back to um, Jordan three years or two years ago, when you were like telling people on video on LinkedIn, like start making videos because I I was uncomfortable doing it. And this is why. are you watching those
2: early videos?
0: Yeah, I was there. I was there with the early early Jordan days of when you were you were you started posting videos. So That's funny. All uh, right. But yeah, I mean you've definitely have become like amazing speaker doing things that are uncomfortable. Thank you. So kudos to that. Appreciate it. I kinda wanna dig into this topic because I know you, you talk about this a lot, but how do you feel about college?
2: <laughs> well <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel great about it. I think that for most career paths, it's a waste of time. I think that it's financially irresponsible for a lot of people. And that a lot of these loans that are given out are predatory. It's ingrained in us that you have to go to college or you're not going to be successful. And trade school is like shamed too when really like like we look down on people who go to trade schools like like that's and it's like it's weird. And and I know that was that was certainly the case in my school, when people would go to tech school to learn a trade, it was like a weird thing. There was definitely an element of condescension there in the dynamic between, you know, the kids that stayed in normal school and went to tech school. And, but really it's a great option with a, probably, a, and they're probably making, a, they're going to be making a lot more money than, than people with a college degree. And they're, they're spending way less on their education. I think it's it, a trade school is one of the best things you can do. But college is really not one of the best things you can do, especially, okay, so it's ingrained in us. You know, you got to go and, you know, you're paying yourself and you got to get these loans and because you're paying for it. And okay, you know, $25,000 loan, fine. And I'm being conservative here. $25,000 loan, fine. No questions asked here. Take it. It's like giving out like Halloween candy. But you want to get a business loan? Absolutely not. (laughs) Like, good luck with that. Uh, And so- you know, these loans are given out like candy, and the schools know, the universities know that these loans are given out like candy with very few questions asked. And so, what do they do? They hike up the cost of tuition to a tune of twelve hundred percent since nineteen seventy eight, when in the same time period, healthcare costs have only gone up six hundred percent. Healthcare bankrupts a lot of people. Food has only gone up four hundred percent. What gives? Wages have stayed pretty much. Now, I'm not saying wages should. Uh, I'm not saying you know. There's Wages should rise and uh, minimum wage should like go to $15. I'm not saying that. I don't want people to think that. But wages have stayed the same over since like the 90s and tuition has skyrocketed. Like you look up tuition versus average salaries and you'll you'll see like these graphs and Google images like of one skyrocketing and one being very the same, very much the same. And so the ROI really does come into question with, with colleges, with a lot of majors. I think that it, it should be totally transparent. Like when you're signing up and when you're picking a major under, under the major should have the types of jobs you can get. And then next to that, the average starting salaries at those jobs, and then how much this education is going to cost you likely in total to, to get that degree. There should be a, a really, it should be an analysis of an ROI here. But no, there are no questions of ROI. People go in blind. They they blindly pick a major, aimlessly pick a major, and without any thought of, oh, what kind of job can I get after college? What uh, sh- What is the average starting salary at that job? How's it going to progress over 10, 20 years? How much am I going to be paying in tuition? Those questions aren't asked. And so people are coming out with loads of debt to the tune of 38000 Eight hundred eighty-seven dollars, and over forty million Americans owe that amount. That's one point seven one trillion dollars. I haven't checked the numbers in about two months, but every time I check it, it goes up and up and up. When I started talking about this stuff, the student loan debt was at one point five trillion. It's hiked up over two hundred billion dollars since I started talking about this just a year and a half ago, or or almost two years ago. When is it going to stop? When are we going to stop playing these games? I think I, I think the whole thing is a mess and, and what are we learning at these schools so many of these majors are waste waste I'll I'll pick on majors gender studies all this sociology stuff like, there's so many majors that that just have such a terrible terrible ROI you know i think that maybe some of the best majors obviously you know going to be a lawyer or going to be a doctor yeah like i get it you know you don't want to learn for, you don't want your doctor to to learn on YouTube. Like, duh, I get it. No, no crap, Sherlock. Uh, <laughs> you know, that people come, come to me with that rebuttal a lot, but you know, finance, accounting, engineering, I think that those are all great things that you, that with a, degrees with a good ROI that obviously you need to go to school for those things, but so many other things you don't really need to go to school for. I didn't really need to go to school. Now I went because I was expected to and so entrepreneurship, I, you know, I knew the whole way. I just got done telling you my story. I knew from 18 years old, I really wanted to work for myself. I didn't really have a ton going yet, but I knew that's what I wanted. And going to college with the ultimate goal of not having to get a job after graduation doesn't really make much sense. I, I would, the whole way I, I was saying to people, yeah, my goal is to not get a job. After school, to not to be making enough money on my own to not have to get a job after school, and uh, and I did that, thank God. I know I oh 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 the last element, last element. My kids won't be going to college, or they'll they'll be going to they'll have a they'll have an option of a select few colleges. I already have them in mind. That I'll I'll pay for you. I'll pay for your education if you go to these colleges. Uh, Anything else (laughs) like you know like the the Soviet Republic of Colorado Boulder where my brother goes. Well, we won't be going there, and I don't mean to get political, but if you send your kid to college nowadays in 2020, you're really playing Russian roulette with their values. And I'm not really willing to play that type of Russian roulette. The political indoctrination that goes on in these universities is sometimes very subtle, but really costly to your kid's values over the long run. And I have, I'm not playing that game. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I mean, totally agree because, like, education has. It's so expensive, but it's actually so cheap now. It's like, why are costs going up when, like, it's so easy to get a free education? Yes. Like, like, it's crazy. I could see, oh. like, 30 years ago, and it was cheaper 30 years ago, but it was harder.
2: You didn't have the internet to get yes. this free education. certainly. But, now, this works. This type of self-directed learning, Daniel, it works for curious people. mm mm-hmm. Like me, I've been I've been I have been enrolled in the university of life very much engaging in self-directed learning for since I was 17 years old when I started reading voluntarily for the first time in my life. It works for some people, not everyone, not even the majority. Not kids that are not naturally curious. They kind of they do need this more structured curriculum. They they very much need that. They're not going to learn on their own. In fact, the I mean yeah, the vast majority of kids aren't going to read book after book after book after book and voluntarily and and podcast every podcast and audiobook after audiobook. I sit here all day. I listen to audiobooks, podcasts and and read books every day and very much engaging in in my own uh, very much enrolled in the university of life. That's not everyone. You do kind of need school for for those types. Uh, but there are other types that really don't need school and, and will take advantage of these these freer resources. Even, I mean, heck, uh, uh, most $15 books, a lot of $15 books have a an exponentially higher ROI than most four-year degrees. <laughs> think rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. I could name example uh, after example books. I got a lot of books around me. I could name a lot of books that have a higher ROI than school.
0: Yeah, and it's a, I think it's crazy because I think I would say probably... 5% of the classes I took were probably useful for me because I think the classes that I took were useful for me were taught by professors who were, have been in the world of doing it. Yes. And they actually did experience, they did ex- like life, like lessons. Like got one of my classes, I actually did a project with a company and people in the company was the grading of our project. So like actual people like doing day-to-day work graded our project where like, The classes where it was like learning about Coca-Cola's like marketing strategy and it was like billboards and stuff like that. I'm like, are we still learning this like marketing like this where it's obvious that people are doing social media? It's obvious people doing paid ads, but I never, ever got a class about paid advertising or marketing automation or it's crazy to me.
2: No, all I, I I was a marketing major at one point. Actually, I took a lot of higher level marketing classes. I, I took most of the marketing classes I needed to take to graduate with a marketing degree. And well, oh, here's what I learned: the definition of a target market. That's that's really what I learned. <laughs> like that's what it was in every class. Just talking about like a, a target market for the most most part, and and then clicking through like McGraw Hill homework assignments just that you don't even have to pay attention to to complete, but it takes 40 minutes. And oh my God, just such a, like a, a tragic waste of time. I, I mm. nothing I know about marketing was learned in any of these marketing classes in school. And I, I think I'm like a decent marketer. You are. Thanks.
1: You are. It's funny. It's funny hearing you guys think about this because very candidly, I had a little bit of a different experience in college. Mm. And I think my, my approach, I think initiated in high school my like guidance counselors knew a hundred percent what I was looking to do in college and really steered me. Not, not, it was my decision-making. Like I knew I wanted to be in front of the camera. I knew I loved sports. I knew that marketing was something I was very passionate about. I didn't know a thing about it. So when I initiated into school, it was very much like get involved. They connected me with people that were a little bit older than me who were kind of doing similar things. So I got to almost shadow them in their outside of, like their, their classes, like I knew what extracurriculars they were in, what clubs they were in. So it was really that go be active in what you're hoping to do. And so it was really get mm-hmm. that experience, get that experience coupled with your classes. And so classes were very hands on for me as well. They were sending us out in the field. We were going to games and having to do scripts or, you know, grip. I had to learn all facets of it to really figure out what side I liked. And funny enough, I ended up transitioning away from in front of the camera to more of the kind of, you know, marketing side, which ended up being a direct result of those experiences. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very valid that if college isn't right for you, don't waste the time. Yes. Find the experience. Get that Yes like innate understanding of what is right for you and what is wrong. And sometimes it takes just doing to figure that out.
2: Well, Emily, that's great. There's a fundamental problem in the system though that we're, we're ranking high schools top to bottom based on the percentage yes. of kids that end up going on to college. So guidance counselors, push, 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 push to college, go. even yes. though, but college is not, it's not right for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. My twin brother is the one, he did not go to college and it was not right for him. He did a trade school, and he has found success because yeah. he didn't waste his four years in something that made no sense for him.
2: Yeah, it, it, but a lot of people don't get that, and and they end up getting hurt. And so many people end up with a mountain of student loan debt with actually no degree to show for it because they realized it really wasn't right for them. Oh, that's so yeah. challenging. Yeah. Why, why aren't we? Why? What? Like the the measure of these high schools, like how many kids get placed in in jobs? Like what is? What is or or something something of the sort. How much money do they make ten years after leaving the high school? You know, something like that. Might be a little bit harder to track, but
0: and I know one thing for
2: certain, yeah, one thing for certain is that measuring how much what percentage of kids go to college shouldn't be the end all be all measure for ranking these high schools.
1: How many Can of them you graduate? Like yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just said that
0: college for me was a way to play football. Ah, yes. So college for me was like, I knew this and actually my love for football was not as strong as a lot of people, but I knew as my ticket to get a free education, mm-hmm. like smart, <laughs> I knew like, but I knew as was my ticket that my ROI of college would be exponential because right. I, if I'm paying zero for college and yes. the ROI of college is obviously going to be more than you get, you get out of it. So it's yeah, a good way to do it. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And I also didn't – one thing about, like, colleges is, like, that I think people don't get is, like, one, you're either indebted to your parents paying for you or you're indebted to the system yes. paying for you. So, like, my thing is I didn't want to be indebted to anybody yes. when I went to college. Um, I didn't want to be indebted to my parents having to make decisions for me, even though mm-hmm. my parents are pretty good at not picking – my life path. But I know a lot of parents do say like, if you go to Yale, you better like get a a job at Goldman Sachs and then you better
2: redo this. There's, there's Uh, conditions, even the subtlest of of conditions. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Despise the free lunch. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Nobody wakes Mm -hmm. up and is like, I really, maybe your parents do, but this is just a good thing to think about in life. And when people come DM you with these opportunities, nobody wakes up and is like, I want to make Daniel Murray really rich today. Like I really want to like do like nobody says that about Jordan Paris. Like nobody, nobody does that. Everyone's looking out for themselves. And so if it seems like it's too good to be true, it usually is. And there's some strings attached. I like to pay for things. You know, I, even if I can get something for free, I like to pay for it because I have complete control over it. And I'm indebted to nobody. I don't like people doing favors for me because I'm indebted to them in some way. And the law of reciprocity will be engaged and I will feel the psychological stress if I if I don't reciprocate in in some way down the line, and it's just a it's it's a good what you're saying yeah it, it's good to be indebted to no one in in every way in, in money in favors is a really great thing. Yeah, I want to transition to a little bit of podcasting
0: stuff, and I want to say like, what is your process of choosing guests? Like, yeah. how do you decide that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, it's so many people. Are uh, they reach out uh, from a from a good place, and you know whether it's whether it's the PR person sending an email like guest suggestion, like those default stuff. Maybe you guys have started to get that stuff from these podcast booking agencies, or it's just people on 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 Instagram and LinkedIn sending a DM like, "Hey, I'd love to love to be considered for your for your podcast." And You know, coming from a good place and, and, you know, very, very successful people reaching out. And, you know, I'm sure you make a lot of money. I'm, I'm, but that's, you know, people like to like mention that, like, oh, I make this much money. I've sold this much and I don't really care. Like, I, it's not, it's not about like how many millions of dollars, how many tens of millions of dollars you made. I really, it's not, it's not all what it's, what it's about. What it's about is I very much pick my guests, people who I'm already naturally curious about, people whose books I read, people whose, products and services I already use, I come from a place of natural curiosity because these people are already on my radar. I don't have to feign curiosity. I don't have to pretend to be curious with somebody with Joe Smith who's, yeah, who who has this book that I haven't read that. It's, it's a weird phenomenon in, in, in some podcasts where that's like the case. They just have guests for the sake of having guests because other people have guests and they just have a guest slot to fill. We don't have guests just for the sake of having guests because other podcasts have guests. When I have a guest, it's for a specific purpose. I want to, there's something specific I want to talk about and get out of this episode. There's an outcome that I want and I'm our, this person's already on my radar. You know, like people ask me all the time when they reach out uh, how do I be considered like how how do I get on your podcast and and I don't really have an answer. It's you just got to be on my radar naturally. Hmm. I actually, I
0: mean, no, I, I feel the exact same way as you yeah. and I just started. I think like the guests that me and Ferg have been like vetting out and they have been people who started reaching out, not like agencies. I'm on big time, like, mm-hmm. yet, but uh, but individuals who reach out and I'm like, the people that I'm reaching out to are like people that I've been following for a while that I want yes. to talk to. And exactly. I want to like, it's a a natural way for me to have a conversation with them where I don't have to say, Hey, could I have 15 minutes of your time? It's more like come on my podcast. Mm -hmm. You can get a, a benefit of it for being in the podcast, but we also will have a conversation and get to know each other and build a relationship. So I think it's just a natural way of having that. I totally resonate with that point.
1: See, my thing is that people are my passion, so I'm always curious about people. But I think that there's another level of the guests that we are able to source. There's there's an innate element of learning, and I love being able to learn. I feel like I can learn from anyone, but getting to pick someone's brain, there's so much that comes out of that because every day it's like a discovery of, wow, did I expect to learn this today? No, but now this is stuck in my mind and I have a resource to go back to, to kind of communicate about how I'm experiencing this now. So,
2: well, what you say is important, Emily, my mom would, would say the same thing that, you know, she loves everyone and she's curious. There's something, there's something great about everyone. You know, you could, you can love everyone when you really get to know them. You can be curious about anyone. You can learn something from everyone. Yeah, that's, it, it sounds very much like something she would say. So that reminded me of, and, and that's absolutely true. You know, there is something to learn from, from everyone. And I am curious about a lot of people, but look, I have, you know, I have one slot a week and I have my own agenda. I have a ver- long list of people I really want to get to and, and having Joe Smith on, I just, that I don't know by lines, I have my own agenda and I'm lazy. And if I have Joe Smith on, I don't know who Joe Smith is. Then I have to do a lot more homework
0: mm-hmm.
2: that while running a business now, I don't have a ton of – I don't have as much time to, and to do that as I used to. Not even that I don't have the time. I do have a lot of time. I have a lot of time freedom. I've kind of designed my life in that way. But the headspace.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I got to keep the headspace as clear as possible. I have to keep things as efficient as possible. And I don't like to ha- if I have to do a lot of homework, I don't like to do that.
1: Mm. Well, at least they're already on your radar, so that makes perfect sense. I have to ask you though, like what have you learned? Like maybe what are the two or three biggest lessons that you've learned from some of your, you know, well, favorite guests?
2: Well, it doesn't boil down to one or two things. You know, it's a common question and I I never have an answer to this. Because there is no formula, or, or that it boils down to, that it's that I can synthesize in my brain. What I can do, though, is if you say one or two guests, you know, I can I can very easily pick out a lesson from most from most guests. If you had something in in mind, but I but there is no formula here that mm-hmm. that that it just boils down to. Everybody wants a you know, and I do this too. I found my uh, Jim McKelvey of square call, called me out on this. He's like, I, he's like, huh, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to get a, you're trying to get boil this down to a formula. There is no formulas here. Uh, everyone wants a sexy sound and formula that makes it things easy. Uh, but it's just really not the case for most things in life. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, that's a lesson
0: right there. You just told, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. from someone I want to, this question, I, I like to ask to marketers, but I want to ask just for podcasting. What
2: are most podcasters
0: doing wrong?
2: They're using Zoom, <laughs> 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 which thank God we're not right now. The sound quality is so much better than it would be had we been recording on Zoom. Uh, our tracks are being recorded locally via Squadcast right now, uh, which is a really great thing. Not Zoom. Uh, Zoom's very, it's, it's a great tool. Use it every day, but it's, uh, it's not. it's just not a tool that's made for podcasters using a tool that is made for podcasters, like Squadcast or Cast or Riverside. These are great tools that are made specifically only for podcasters and uh, these work much better than Zoom or Skype or something like that. So I think that's number one. Most people are are doing that wrong and I did that wrong for the first 65 episodes. So it's great to see you guys doing this really from the beginning. We had a
1: little help thanks to somebody named Jordan Paris.
2: (laughs) uh, Right. (laughs) Now, is there anything else? That's what comes to mind first and foremost. Yeah. What are the
0: best channels to promote a podcast? Ooh. I actually heard an episode, I think, with Rand Fishkin. I think it was, this. and and he was saying like, like don't do like paid media and don't do this and don't do that. But I just oh. want to hear what. Well, I just want to. I just want to hear your perspective yeah. Yeah. of like how to market a podcast.
2: Yeah, I know where Rand's coming from. I've read his book. I've had him on my podcast. I know what he's... I I get it. At the same time, yeah, you can post on LinkedIn. You can do all this stuff and you know, post across the social channels. And that's what 99% of podcasters do. And that works to a point. There's only so much you can do organically. If you're going to grow organically, you've got to be like a radically different podcast, which I'm not. So paid placement is really what separates us from the Jordan Harbingers of the world and emailing, you know, using hunter.io, a tool to find emails. You go to one of the podcast providers, one of the podcast apps, websites, and you, you click the red Hunter icon in your browser. You find the emails associated with that website. You find there's usually a partner program email, you know, like partners at whatever.com or .fm. And you send them an email and you know, say, what what kind of, uh, what kind of paid placement do you guys offer? What's the CPA, you know, cost per subscriber? And that's really it. And you send the email. Some podcast apps have really great partner programs and paid placement opportunities. Others, not so much. Uh, Some don't have it at all, but a lot of platforms will have, uh, some platforms have really great opportunities that most people don't know about and, and are not taking advantage of. And this is what really, starts catapulting your podcast up into the upper levels and, and, and really, really getting next level amount of listeners. I think
0: for him, I think a lot of people run ads for like the subscribe when like, what one thing I don't like about podcasts is you don't get user emails and you don't get like your, your audience emails. So like... Yep. Running ads to get a, a subs- an email subscribe so you can start sending emails to that mm-hmm. audience. I think that is a great strategy for paid because as well because an email is so gold. Like you can send them like oh a new episode update and stuff like that. And yeah. Getting that subscribe, not subscribe to Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
2: Well, I'd argue the effectiveness of that. If you're trying to get more podcast listeners, I don't know that getting more email subscribers is going to be as effective as getting subscribers on the the, the native platform where they're listening. You know, people don't go to their email to listen to a podcast. They go to their podcast app to listen to a podcast. So if you want more listeners, you want to get subscribers. You want to figure out ways to get subscribers on these podcast platforms. And then at that point, you can get them to your email list by placing perhaps a lead magnet ad read into – you know, the intro, outro or mid roll of your episode and doing that intermittently, not every episode, maybe every other episode, mixing it up, where exactly you put it, what episodes you do it, changing it up so the stimuli isn't saturated. And then you're turning podcast platform subscribers into email list subscribers, which is for a, a completely different purpose. And, and I've actually been sending emails every Monday when there's an episode that comes out to my email subscribers every Monday for really like two years and I'm actually going to stop doing that very soon. The in fact the effectiveness of it isn't great. Uh, at least I've found in, in my experience. And I don't wanna damage my list that way. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna have people unsubscribing uh, just because it's getting redundant and that's not really what they're looking for in, in subscribing. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would just que- I would question like it, it really just it really just depends on, on what you're trying to do. You know if you're if you're trying to get more listeners I, I really think that uh these paid placement opportunities with podcast different podcast apps is is the best way to do it cool
0: i kind of want to transition to trend up media your new venture that you started and i want to know like what is your like vetting process of like people that you work with like what type of podcasts like if someone came to you like and how would they be able to find to work with you because you've done it, you've been successful. So I think you're a good, great place to go Thanks. for podcasts. So I just want to know a little bit about that.
2: Sure, sure. I've been rocking with this for about a a little, oh yeah, no, over a year now. And it's great. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And look, it's for people that already have, or, or brands or people that already have established businesses online for the most part. And a podcast would only feed that business further. It would drive business value. You know, it's it's if and now there's other cases where you know somebody somebody maybe makes a lot of money in another area, uh, maybe not a, an online business, and they don't want to have a podcast drive business. To there's not like a, a business agenda, business purpose behind the podcast, but they also don't have a ton of time in their life. Maybe they have a family, but they have money coming in elsewhere. Uh, maybe it's a day job or something like that. And they just, yeah, they don't have time and they really don't care about the ROI of a podcast. I mean, sure. I'm not going to say, I'm going to say no to that. You know, if you want to, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. Who I don't work with is people who have no existing business already. And they are really focused on the ROI of the podcast because I I can't build your business for you. I can set up the podcast in a way that drives business to that drives business value for you. But I, I, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to build your, your business for you. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: With, your company being about a year old, what is a unique industry that you've been able to kind of learn about by bringing yeah. on like a, a client or kind of talking yeah. into that?
2: Yeah. Unstack.com. It's a, a CMS for marketers. Uh, Daniel, you may know of it. Uh, if not, you should totally look it up. Unstack. They have a podcast about called zero to a million, so, you know, essentially from scaling from $0 to a million dollars in recurring revenue uh, is the gist of the show. And it's with all these startup founders, and I, and they're a relatively – I think we started with them in uh, September. Yeah, we did. Yes. Yes, the show's not that old. So I have learned about the startup world. Like, the startup world is very foreign to me. Like, all the, the, the terms that are used, the, the just the whole language is very different. And, and I don't know that I'm ever going to get into it in my life. It's just not my my thing. I don't really plan on using that that the, the the vocabulary and the language that they use. I don't plan on speaking that language, but it's a new it's a whole new world that I've learned about.
1: <laughs> That's fun,
2: Fergie. You want to transition to
0: our favorite? Of course, section? I do. I
1: was going to say. So this is our like favorite time. Not that anything prior hasn't been fun, but here's kind of a level the playing ground. No matter what. We just want to get to know you a little bit more. So basically, we're going to ask you some questions. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is always helpful. If you can't yeah. think of it, it's okay. So I'm going to start with my favorite question. What was your first job ever? You didn't necessarily have to get paid for it, but what was your first job that you can recall?
2: Well, I got paid about $1.50 per hour as a, under the table at a, as a sports staff at a camp, at a summer camp. Oh. And it was... Uh, Yes, yes, it was about fifteen years old. and uh, four, fourteen and fifteen, and uh, you know, a whole summer worth worth of work, you know, so six weeks, uh, about six, seven hours per day equated to about 150 bucks at the end of the summer. <laughs> so it was pretty abusive and probably illegal. Um,
1: now we know why you wanted to work for yourself. Right.
2: And that, I think that that really laid the groundwork for, okay. for my, for my not wanting to work for anyone ever again, because not only was the pay horrible, but just getting scolded. I, c- I couldn't do anything right, Emily. It was, it was, I, I'm like, I still have very vivid in my memory, some of these like scolding sessions just by like the, the, you know, the camp directors, it was, it was at times very rough. And if, and if I were to ever be yelled at like that today, I wouldn't just take it. Let's say that, (laughs) but I very, I very very much just took it then Mm -hmm. Uh, except 15 and 14 and very unsure of myself. And, but yeah, that was it. Awesome. My question is out of the bookshelves that are behind
0: wow. you right now that people aren't seeing you what would be your favorite book or
2: favorite book currently
0: if you can't pick one
2: yeah it's this one the laws of human nature Ooh. by robert green and is my favorite podcast episode i've ever done too not just not because he's famous because he's a famous author you know i don't i don't that's a, that's another thing too like just having people on because they have a blue check mark because they're famous. That's another trap that a lot of podcasters fall into that I yeah. fell into quite frankly. But yeah. just because the conversation that Robert and I had was so it was just unequivocally the best on Growth Mindset University in my opinion and it's my favorite thing to talk about human nature human behavior. That's so, amazing. That's a good one, I like? Yeah. I'm it's into a great that. Book. Yeah. This is this book Emily. It took me 6 months to read. It, it mm-hmm. the text I'll show it to you. The text is so small, the page is so wide, and the page is so tall, and it's like 600 pages. takes a long time. You know, reading five pages in the morning is really the equivalent of reading like 17 pages of a a normal-sized book. takes quite a long time. But it was the only book I read for six months. Absolutely worth it. Mm. Ended up as my favorite book.
1: I love that. All right. So, say you're in a mood, and you need a pick me up. What song or artist mm-hmm. are you playing to get you back in the right mindset?
2: Well, I would. Oh, oh, Fleetwood Mac. Oh. As an artist, generally speaking, would be it. Song mm-hmm. probably "Don't Stop." Gypsies up there. Mm-hmm. Those are my two favorite. But uh, everything that uh, from Fleetwood Mac is. Very good. That no, I listen to all the time.
1: No doubt. They're amazing. I'm assuming you don't have to have cranberry juice to enjoy them.
2: No. Okay. <laughs> um, Just a Himalayan pink salt lamp
0: <laughs>
2: that I turn on. What is your favorite
0: brand currently? My favorite brand? Yeah, like brand. Yeah.
2: Mm, mm. Am I wearing anything? I love?
1: Can it be a personal brand too?
2: That could be a personal brand. It could any, be, any brand. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, this is tough. But I, I know I could have a good answer. Uh, I wish I had prepared for this one. Wow. If, of course, you can't think of one brand when you need to think of a... <laughs> of, of, uh,
1: it's a uh, tough question.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. I know what it is. And this will turn off some people. Prager U. P-R-A-G-E-R-U. PragerU. PragerU. Why so?
0: Well,
1: look into it, and we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I like that little crumb. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ask you from an app perspective: what is one, or maybe two? You can add a little extra in there that you could not live without, or that you use the most. Same context.
2: It's. uh, it's, I wish I didn't use it. Uh, I have it in a folder named "Cocaine" on my phone. Words with friends kills me. Just kills me. I, maybe there's some sort of brain benefit to it, but I just spend a little bit too much time on there. And it's not that bad, but I, I, I just click it way too much. And, and then obviously everyone clicks Instagram too much and I don't have Twitter on my phone. So that's good. That was pretty bad for my mental health before Mm -hmm. it's just a cesspool of hatred and misery. But I think that Instagram is also a cancer for the mind, especially for young people. Yeah. And it's an absolute unmitigated disaster in every single way. I don't think that there's any benefit to Instagram and people can challenge me on that. I don't think that there's any benefit at all. And I I use it way too much. Could I live without it? Absolutely. I would thrive without it. I'd be so much happier without it. Is there an app besides that I can't live without? Well, let me see. I'll open up my phone. PragerU is a good app. (laughs) They They have an app as well. I like having Basecamp on my phone. You know, that's our project management software that we use, and to be able to access work from my phone is helpful sometimes. Oh, this is the this is these are the two I couldn't live without: Castbox and Audible. That's my answer.
0: Good ones. I like those two. I mean, Audible is just a killer. Like, I mean, it's changed my life when I can start listening to books. Um, yeah. That was my intro to like starting to actually like reading. actually, yeah. because it makes like, it so I, easy. I, I was just like a, I didn't, I hated reading, and now I like it. But it's good. I was just like, but I want to go and say it doesn't have to be an influencer, but who's the go-to person that you look up to? I, you're probably gonna say who you just said earlier, but
2: Robert. Yeah. Well, it's it depends. In obviously in the writing world, I. I totally love his writing style and very much look up to him in that sense, his tone, his style. I have different heroes, different role models for different things. Maybe in the world of selling, I mean, there's a there's a few different people. Ryan Serhant would definitely be included in that. The Ryan's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. But yeah, it just depends on the context uh, thing, but yeah, do I have a, oh, in the world of politics, probably Candace Owens. And I will say, you know, people are going to hate this too. You guys will probably hate this also. I I've, I do look up to Donald Trump as well.
1: Nice. Hey, I think listen, he's a great
2: per- I do think he's a great person.
1: Influence is influence. It doesn't it doesn't have to agree with everyone. I think your your no. influence is your Personal preference, and mm-hmm. we don't hate anyone. Good. Yes. All right. So I think our last kind of note is: How can people connect with you? Where Where can they connect with you?
2: Well, Growth Mindset University, my my podcast, uh, but connect uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, and yeah, you know, the normal, the the usual places mm-hmm. where you can connect with people and but your website yeah jordanparis.com and if you really if you really do want to like actually get in touch with me and, and talk with me you know you can scroll down to the bottom and in the footer of the website is all my social channels there perfect and if anybody's looking to start a podcast any
0: company go to trend up media
2: i appreciate it
1: absolutely well jordan thanks for taking the time to talk all things podcast and beyond with us
2: thanks guys i, I appreciate it